0: In my last episode, I talked about leadership and I talked about how leaders should create an environment where people feel safe and protected and sure that if there is trouble, their leaders would be there to protect them so that they can do the best work of their life. Today, I would like to talk about value. Many years ago, I used to work with a software services company an organization that used to deliver software solutions for their clients. Now, how the estimation process should happen ideally is that once we understand the requirements, we do an estimate of how much time and how many resources would be required to deliver that software. And then based on that estimate, we quote a cost and time to the customers. And then based on that, there is an agreement and the software development process should begin. But what really used to happen is that the sales team would go and try to understand who are the other software development companies that are bidding for the project and what would be an approximate price that they're going to quote. And then they would quote a price that is slightly less than that. And then they would add a little bit of buffer, which means let's say that the project is a hundred thousand dollars they would they would quote a hundred thousand dollars to the customer but then they would come back and tell the delivery partner that the project needs to be delivered within ninety thousand dollars keeping a ten thousand dollar of buffer now the account delivery head would go and talk to his his practice head and tell them that the project needs to be delivered within eighty thousand dollars The practice head then goes to the project manager and says that the project needs to be delivered in $70,000 keeping a $10,000 of buffer uh, for himself just in case that the project gets delayed or what have you. The project manager then keeps a buffer of $10,000 and estimates a $60,000 worth of project. So what has really happened is that the amount of time and the number of resources that get employed on the project uh, only has a budget of sixty thousand dollars, which means the teams that are working on the project are now overburdened. The amount of time and the number of uh, amount of work that they need to do is tremendous. Even though the project was or could have been more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, it got quoted hundred thousand dollars because the other organizations are quoting let's say one hundred and twenty. So to win the bid, they have quoted much lesser than the actual estimate of the project on top of that all the buffers and everything the the amount of budget that the actual teams eventually get is much lesser than what they could have comfortably done the work in now these numbers could be a little stark and i'm not giving you the exact numbers but you get the idea what eventually ends up happening is that the people are overburdened and the The quality of the work that gets produced in the end is horrendous. But then they had the philosophy that we deliver the subpar quality project first to the customer and then eventually get into a maintenance project with them and have a time and effort contract with them to improve the quality of the project or quality of the software that's being delivered. And that's not at all good for anybody. It's not good for the customer because the customer is getting a horrible quality product. It's not good for the services company because their reputation goes down because of the lack of quality in the software solution that's getting delivered. And it's definitely not good for the people. Now, let's think about this. What is project success? The most common definition of project success is that if a project is getting delivered on time and under budget, then it's a successful project. But is it really? Let's explore that a little bit. I read this book many years ago by James Shore called The Art of Agile Development. And there's an absolutely beautiful definition of an of a successful agile project that I kind of stuck to. What James Shore in the book says is that there are three criteria for the successful of Agile, and he really draws a Venn diagram. The first circle is business success. What that means is, let's say that you are developing a software for a client, or you're developing a software for yourself, and and the reason why you are developing the software is for a particular business objective. Now, it's possible that you might have delivered the project on time and under budget, but the business objective was not met, probably because a competitor created the same software product much before you did, or probably the industry changed and, and the software doesn't really help achieve the business objective. So even though your project was delivered on time and under budget, if the business does not achieve its objective, the project is not really a success. The second circle in the Venn diagram is technical success. What that means is you may have delivered the project on time and under budget, but if in case there are changes required in the software product, it's extremely fragile and brittle and you have to go through a tremendous amount of work to be able to change the software product without impacting everything else. There's a tremendous amount of cost, perhaps, or the quality of the software product that you've delivered is not very good, perhaps, or... Uh, there isn't a very good test rig that essentially tests the product for quality or uh, any changes required in the software are difficult to implement because of the way the source code is written or what have you. There could be a number of reasons. So if the software is not really a technical success, then even though you may have delivered the product or project on time and under budget, it's not really a success. And the third Venn diagram that goes into this picture is people success. How did the people do? How did the team do while delivering the software? Did they deliver the software working 15 hours a day, um, spending time away from from their families and friends and had absolutely no time to uh, relax, had no work-life balance, what have you? Did the people come out of the project learning and technically better than how they were before they went into the project. So he talks about not just project time and project costs, but James Shore talks about about business value, about technical value, and about people value. He focuses on people welfare as well. And that truly is a successful project. When we do estimations in a classical way, what we really end up doing is overburdening our people for no reason, what have you. Now, I understand that there are business challenges and that it's important that we bid in such a way that we can actually win the project. But uh, if you go, and I am a purist when it comes to agile software development, and what I feel is that if you truly follow agile, it's very much possible to keep the costs of the project low, while meeting the business value, the technical value, and the people value of the project. I happened to learn Agile software development uh, in a workshop that was conducted by ThoughtWorks many, many years ago. And ThoughtWorks, by the way, which is run by Martin Fowler, who happens to be one of the signatories of the original Agile manifesto, they are a software services company. They're not a product company they're not a core business they are a pure play software services company and after winning the bid which is by the way a very good bid they build the software and they return money to their clients which means that the cost of the software development including the profits is actually lower than what they originally bid for agile software development has many processes within it that actually make it very very efficient whether you call it automation or whether you call it pair programming or whether you call it writing test rigs that makes uh, making changing in the software easy and quick or um, a proper documentation within the source code itself it doesn't have to be long api style documentations it has to be documentation that is just right and just enough that may allow other software developers to read through the documentation and make the changes whether you call it refactoring whether you call it test first development what have you the practices that they follow the extreme programming and scrum practices that they follow make the software development process extremely efficient now let's talk about enterprise architecture TOGAF as a framework is heavily inspired from Agile processes. It's been inspired by Agile processes since many years, since TOGAF 9.1 and then we have 9.2 and now we have TOGAF 10 where TOGAF officially acknowledges that digital enterprises and, uh, and Agile methodologies contribute heavily to the TOGAF framework. It is iterative and incremental and, and it follows TOGAF's Scrum practices in every iteration, whether it is strategic architecture, uh, segment architecture or capability architecture. Capability architecture essentially is the lowest level of enterprise architecture capability building. And that is one of the reasons why TOGAF framework is, in my opinion, the best framework out there. A new section that I would like to introduce going forward into my podcast is about books. Actually, some of my listeners were talking to me about the books that they're reading and there were some interesting conversations that happened on the Telegram group. So I thought this could be an interesting addition to the podcast. I try to read about 60 books in a year. That uh, makes it five books in a month. And this includes... uh, Uh, ebooks and audiobooks. Uh, I don't read physical books anymore. And yes, I know there are some people who are still of the opinion that they can only enjoy physical books. Uh, They need to feel the paper turning under their fingers. Unfortunately, I don't have that luxury. And especially if you're reading 60 books in a year, it doesn't make practical sense to buy 60 books. Storage would become a problem. So I I resort to uh, ebooks. Uh, and they are an interesting edition, and I uh, sometimes I reread some of the books that I've read in the past. So it's not 60 new books, really. It's 60 books. Uh, currently, I'm reading a couple of books, and I have to read a couple of books. The audiobooks are a little slow for me, to be honest, uh, uh, but they are a good way of filling up my time while I am driving or uh, doing something that requires my full attention. I can listen to the audiobooks and... Uh, and, and increase the number of books that I'm reading in a month. And, and to be honest, it becomes a little bit of a challenge to uh, to find out the time to uh, read so many books. But but I believe that they add a lot of value. Especially critical thinking has become a very very important skill in this day and age, when things are changing so much. Business is changing, technology is changing every passing day, and uh, and and these books contribute to my critical thinking they show me uh, new perspectives etc now there's one book that was recommended by one of my listeners actually uh, seeing like a state it's a book by james scott and it's a book about statecraft well it goes into the primitive times and looks at how human beings have taken certain decisions for the betterment of humanity, but they ended up becoming not so good. And And it inspires critical thinking. It inspires how you should think about a problem. And, and a very simple example that's given in the book is, in the past, people noticed that that the bigger the house is, the more number of doors are there in the house. And this is related to property tax. So, So they decided that the more number of doors there are the bigger the house so they started taxing people based on the number of doors that they have in their house what this led to was that people started making lesser number of doors in their houses to avoid taxes and and the repercussions are phenomenal so because there were less number of doors in the house the air ventilation was not good enough which which essentially caused uh, healthcare issues people Fell sick more often. Uh, there were pandemics and, and overall the hu- uh, human population was impacted because of that. So it inspires you to do critical thinking and really think about what the repercussions could be of uh, your decisions. Another book that I'm reading is The Great Fragmentation, which is, which is a book about how earlier there used to be really large and huge enterprises big organizations and corporations which and and the industry is now slowly changing it is moving towards uh, smaller boutique organizations that do specialized work and it's that's a very interesting book as well another book that i'm reading at this point in time is called the end of the world is just the beginning and and that's also a book about microeconomics and and uh, statecraft um, it talks about how america is leading the world and it talks about why america is the world leader today simple factors such as the number of hours of daytime that they get are more than the rest of the world uh, they control the shipping routes and, and 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 so many other factors and it's a it's a very interesting book and the last book in my reading list today is the lights in the tunnel which is a uh, pure play technology book. It is basically about automation and the changing of the technologies and how it's impacting the uh, the economy of the future. Do take a look at these books. I think they're very interesting reads. Let me know what you think about them. That's all I have for you today, folks. I hope you enjoy the show. More about organizational agility, innovation and enterprise architecture in the practical world, in the business, right here on the show. But before I end the show, I want you to help me out with this one little thing. Pause the show and share this podcast via WhatsApp or text message with at least one person who might be interested in the show. It could be anyone, your colleague, your boss, someone in your team. That's all I ask. Just one share with one message via text or WhatsApp or any social media of your choice. And it would go a long way in supporting this podcast and growing this listener base. Also, please don't forget to follow the podcast. That way, you'll get notified when we publish a new episode. If you want to find out more about us, you can find us at enterprisearchitectureradio.com. If you have ideas, thoughts, disagreements, please feel free to write to me directly. Uh, We also have a Telegram group if you would like to contribute to the EA discussions or what have you. Just search for Enterprise Architecture Radio on Telegram. Now the URL to join the group is https://t.me/slash architecture radio. While our contact details are there in the show notes, we are very easy to find. Just search for enterprise architecture radio anywhere: Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, even Discord. Once again, I hope you had fun, and I'll see you in the next one.